You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. Oh, afternoon. Come on, that was so amazing. Testimonies like that and all the ones of those who got baptized this morning is why we do what we do. We, we are here as a, as a church, as a people, because of Jesus. Everything is because of him, is from him, and is all about him. And we just simply want to love him and give him away to the world. And that's why we're here. And so I'm just so blessed and so thankful for what Jesus is doing, what he has done, and what he is going to do in, in this place, in our hearts, our lives, and in the region around us. It's an amazing thing. I'm not going to speak too long with you today. Uh, we're going to close today in some worship. I feel as, when, as we conclude this time of fasting and prayer that we just need to glorify the Lord and just worship him with all that we have. And uh, I'm, I'm just so super excited uh, to see what God does from this time. We, we've talked before that consecration is not an event. It's not meant to be a season of your life. It's not meant to be a moment. It's to be something that changes your lifestyle forever. And that you begin to live a lifestyle of holiness and consecration to the Lord and fasting and prayer becomes a part of the norm for your life. Amen? Amen. Before we jump into the Word, why don't we just pray, put our eyes on Jesus who is the Word. Jesus, we love you so much. You're so wonderful, you're so beautiful, so magnificent. Lord, these words, God, don't even, aren't even able to fully describe you, God. You're indescribable. You're matchless in wonder and beauty and power. Lord, I ask that you would come in this moment right now. Let your presence be so thick and tangible. God, that we would see you, that we would truly know you, that we would walk with you in a place of face-to-face -face relationship with you. God, we desire nothing but you. We give you all praise, all glory, all honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, I, I spoke a message called Seeing the Invisible One. We talked about that through Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, him shedding his blood on the cross, you and I have access into what was considered to be impossible before, that mankind has been invited into a place where they can see God, where they can walk face to face in relationship with God. It was it was done by different ones of the past, 
Moses, it says in Hebrews 11, persevered because he saw the invisible one. There, there was Isaiah. There, there was many others, Daniel, John the apostle, who saw Jesus in a way and their lives were never the same again. And I believe that God is inviting you and me into a journey if we will humble ourselves and we will seek him with all that we desire, with all that we want, where we will see him and we'll never be the same. We'll never be the same. We said that how G through Jesus and because of Jesus, we can actually see the invisible God because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. You wanna know what God looks like Look at Jesus. Look at who he is, what he did, and everything about him. Jesus says, or it says about Jesus in Colossians 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. And because of his blood and what he did, we can come boldly before him and know him deeply. Jesus did not do what he did to establish a religion. Religion is not what Christianity is about. Religion has the idea of distance, has the idea of rituals and traditions that are man-made. It has the idea of a heartless activity. It has the idea of performance, of trying to do many, many, many things in order for you to be good enough to try to appease God. That is not what Jesus came for. That is not what Jesus wants for you and for me. He wants relationship, a deep burning connection of love between us and him. That's what he came for. That's what he died for. I talked about last week how in this place, God invites us into a place of encountering him. We were meant to tangibly feel and experience God. You might have already this morning in the worship time or in the different elements that we've already done this morning. You were meant to experience him in all of your five senses. You are not meant to have an intellectual only pursuit and knowledge of God. A lot of people know about God. A lot of people say that they believe in a God. So does the devil and his demons and they're still going to hell. But knowing that God exists and believing in his existence is not what he died for. It's not what he wants for us. He wants us to know him deeply as the closest of personal relationships can be. To have a face-to-face. -face. As I said about Moses, Moses spoke with the Lord face-to-face -face as a man speaks to a friend. If it was available for Moses, it's available for you and me today. And this is what Jesus died for. And so many people stay in a casual, flippant place, familiar, where they think they know God. And their life's a mess. They're broken. They're addicted. They're in, lost in sin. They're hurting. Their soul is not satisfied because they don't know him. They just know about him. They've never beheld his beauty and his face. If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 15 is where we're going to be. Before we read that, I want to just give you some background, some context. If you want a subtitle 
for this message, you could write, overwhelmed with wonder, overwhelmed with wonder. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus has gone up a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And on this mountain, it says he was, it was, he was transfigured before them, where the glory of God shone through him, where his face was as bright as the sun, and his clothes were whiter than snow, and they illuminated light so brightly, so amazingly, that they began, they ran out of words, and they just said, he was transcended. They tried their best to describe it. And here on this mountaintop, Moses and Elijah come and are standing with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John fall on their face, which is what we all would do. And they're on their faces. And Peter's uncomfortable. Peter wants control, and he doesn't know what to do. Just like many of us in the presence of God, we, we are confused. We're out, we're out of control. And so we, we want to do something because that way we're back in control. And so, oh, Jesus, it's so good for us to be here. Uh, we should set up three different tents, one for you, Moses, and Elijah. And all of a sudden, a cloud comes on the mountain. It's the Father in the cloud. And his voice audibly speaks. He says, this is my son. Listen to him. This is the Father's message. This is the Father's sermon. Jesus is the Father's message. Look at my son. Look at my son. Behold him. Listen to him. This is what the Father is still saying to us today. Don't take your eyes off of him. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And often we get caught up in doing things and are uncomfortable and we just want to stay in control. But if we will look at him and experience him, we'll never be the same. After this moment, they begin to walk down the mountain where the other disciples were at, where a crowd was gathered, where the disciples were there trying to cast a demon out of a young boy. And they're there. And this verse describes what happened as they began to come down the mountain. And it says this, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They were overwhelmed with wonder and, were, and ran to greet him, to welcome him. As soon, as soon as they saw Jesus, I'm telling you, as soon as you behold him and encounter him and experience him in a way you never had before, you will be overwhelmed by his love, his goodness, his mercy. You will be overwhelmed with wonder at his, his love for you, and you will run to him. You will want to be with him above everything else. You will run to him every morning to be alone with him and to spend time with him and to listen to him and to pray to him and to worship him because he's so good. My heart, our heart as pastors and leaders and communicators here is to be like John the Baptist who said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We, we must 
Look at Jesus, for in looking upon Jesus, you will find all that you are looking for. You will find all that you need. Everything you are looking for is found in Jesus. Everything in life that you're looking for is found in Jesus. Everything that the world is looking for is found in Jesus. It's found in nowhere else. It's only found in him. If you're looking for love, he is love personified and demonstrated. The the picture of the cross, you can't get more of a picture of love than that picture right there. If you're looking for peace, he is the prince of peace. If you're looking for joy, he is the fullness of joy. If you're looking for power, there's no one more powerful. He is all powerful. If you're looking for wisdom, Jesus is wisdom. And in Jesus is the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're looking for healing, he is the healer. If you're looking for provision, he is the provider. If you're looking for more faith, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If you're looking for consistency, he's the one who never changes. If you're looking for rescuing, he is the savior. If you're looking for truth and seeking truth, he is the truth. If you need direction and looking for guidance, he is the way. Everything is found in Jesus. If you're looking for comfort for your grieving heart, his spirit is the comforter. If you're looking for friendship because you're alone or you feel lonely, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you're tired of your life and you're looking for a fresh start and something new, he is life itself and he makes everything brand new. If you're feeling dry and old and crusty in your soul, he is the fountain of life that never runs dry. We should never have a dry season because if we drink from him, if we experience him, we will never be dry. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I can't help but talk more about him. I love talking about him. I'd rather talk about him than anything else. He is the answer and the solution to everything in your life. He is the cure and the answer for anxiety, for depression, for suicide, for fear. He is the answer for breaking every addiction in your life. And you can't look to anywhere else or anyone else. You must look to Jesus. He is it. He is enough. He is enough. Anything in your life that doesn't line up with Jesus, any sin, any fear, any depression, any guilt, any shame, any condemnation, it's all because you are not looking at him. You're looking at your circumstances You're looking at yourself. You're looking for excuses. Look to him. For in knowing him, in knowing him is eternal life. In knowing him is eternal life. You can experience eternal life today. You don't have to wait until heaven. You can have him today and be forever satisfied in your soul. 
For when you look to him and you see him and you find him, you will look for nothing else because you have found all that you're looking for. It's all found in him. We talked about last week what God is looking for in a people that a divine collision could take place. What God is looking for in our hearts where we would encounter him in such a way that we would never be the same. He's looking for people who will love him where their highest calling and their greatest ministry is their love for Jesus. In fact, Jesus said himself, this is what's most important. The first and greatest commandment, love me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so often we forget that. We take that lightly. We move past that. If we move past that simplicity of loving Jesus, everything else in our lives begins to crumble. He's also looking for a people who will consecrate themselves to him, not for a season, not for 21 days, not for a moment, but for a lifestyle where they're walking holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He gives you an invitation into holiness, which he gives you the grace to be like himself. He is holy above all else. He is holy and he invites us to be like him. And he gives us the grace to walk that out. And the other two things are humility and hunger. Humility and hunger. He looks for those that are humble and that are hungry. When you see Jesus, you will be overwhelmed with wonder. Your heart will be captivated and you will desire nothing else but him. Have you lost your wonder? Have you lost the wonder of Jesus? Do you take him lightly and have familiarity and flippantly? Is your heart not burned when you wake up in the morning to get alone with him and be with him? Do you get distracted throughout your day and stop thinking about him and you just go through the motions of everything that's going on around you? If you've lost your wonder, it's because you don't have humility and hunger. For humility and hunger work in tandem together. They're cyclical where they cause you to stay in that place of wonder and you're overwhelmed by him. We must recognize our need of God. We must desire and want him more than anything else. Humility is the character of Jesus. I listed a bunch of things of describing who he is. But humility is one of the very few words that he used to describe himself. He is humble. Matthew 21, 5. Matthew 21, 5 says, Behold your king is coming to you humble. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says this, come to me. He opens that invitation daily. It's always open. He's always inviting you. Come to him. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you don't have rest in your soul, if you are burdened with religion, with stress, with worry, with anxiety, with fear and depression, come to him. Come to him, the humble king, and you will find rest in him and be satisfied in him. These passages show the nature in which Jesus comes. The one time that Jesus took to describe himself fully, he picks, I am humble. He could have said, I am all powerful. I am mighty. I am peace. I am love. I am joy. I am all these other things. I am grace. I am truth. He did say those things about himself, but in humility, he described his heart differently than those other things. He said, I am humble of heart. It's his character. And he invites us to be like him. He invites us to be in this place of like him. In fact, if we want to be carriers of the glory of God, if we want to be carriers of the presence of God, which we desire to be, where God's presence is on us and in us and moves through us and it changes the lives around us, this is what we desire. If we desire this, we must walk in humility. Eric Gilmore says this about humility. Everything contrary to humility cannot house the presence of God. He also says, God only stays in humble residences. He might visit, but he only stays where people are humble. Pride is repulsive to God. Pride is repulsive to him. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That resistance you're facing in your life might not be the devil, might be God because of your pride. But he will give grace to you the moment you humble yourself before him. Nothing is so opposed to God as the self-sufficiency of pride. Pride is selfishness. Pride is self-glory, self-effort, self-examination, where we look into ourselves trying to find the answer within, hoping we can fix ourselves. You can't fix you. The answer is not within you, it is in Jesus. Stubbornness is pride, where you're unwilling to submit your will to him. No, I can't lose control. No, I can't fully give that to you. I'll give you this much and I can't go all the way. That stubbornness is pride. Where we love our dignity more than him. This is why we encourage to worship the way that we do because we want people to lose their dignity before him. We want people to humble themselves before him because he's so good, he's so worthy of our praise and our worship that we must Pride is what stops people from believing in God. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. Without choosing Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and follow him with the rest of your life, you're living in pride because you think that you can do life on your own. It's pride. 
And there's believers, there's Christians who live in pride constantly, who won't humble themselves before God. People who have broken relationships, people who have messed up family ties and family relationships in their immediate family, in their extended family, in their workplaces, in their, with their friends. They've lost friendships all because they won't humble themselves and ask for forgiveness. Humble themselves and try to reconcile, make things right. It's pride. Your greatest hindrance to God your greatest hindrance to God and what he wants to do in your life is your eyes fixed on you and not him. Pride keeps your eyes on yourself and not on him. You compare, you are jealous, you're envious. You're in fear. What do I lose control? Humility and hunger keep us in a place of total dependency on God. Lord God, we need you above all else. We can't live without you. I can't breathe another breath without you. Lord, you are my breath. You are closer than my next breath. God, I need you so desperately in my life. This is what humility and hunger do for us. They keep us dependent on God. Jesus was dependent on the Father. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, so does the son. And he also said another passage, I only say what the father says for me to say. He was totally dependent on the father. If Jesus lived in that way, we must live totally dependent upon him every day. Every moment that we don't think that we need him or not dependent upon him, we're walking in self-sufficiency, which is pride. Don't worry, God, I got this. Jesus humbled himself by taking on human flesh and coming as a man and dying for us and going on that cross naked for all to see, shedding his blood with his broken body so that you and I could receive forgiveness, so that you and I could, could receive new life and we could, we could receive right relationship with God where we could know him. Jesus humbled himself so that we could know God. All he asks us to do is to be willing to humble ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need what you did for me. I need you every moment of every day. Just a few more minutes. Uh, in Luke chapter eight, in Luke chapter eight, there's three stories that are all connected, that all happen back to back to back. With three different people where they were people from different backgrounds and different places, but they all had the same desire and they all had the same response. The first one was a demoniac, so possessed by devils, his name was Legion, which means there was a legion of demons inside of him. They had to chain him up outside of the town to try to control him. And it says that Jesus crossed the whole lake for one man, for one man, lands on the shore. And it says this about that man, that demoniac man, it says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. Even all the demons of hell couldn't stop a man from falling at the feet of Jesus. 
There's no demon in hell that can stop you from choosing to humble yourself to fall at his feet. All the people came and they came out and saw him. Where was he? It says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were upset. They had lost a source of income from their city, which was against Jewish law. And it says this, the people of the area asked Jesus to leave. Despite the miracle, despite the shock probably of seeing this man set free, they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus left because he's humble. He won't force himself. He won't stay where he's not wanted. Then it says, when Jesus returned to the other side of the lake, a crowd gathered and welcomed him for they were expecting him. They were expecting him. Jesus comes to those who are expecting him, who are hungry for him, who are wanting him above everything else. He comes to those. And at that moment, a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, a man of prestige and wealth and well-known of high reputation in the community. He was a leader of the gathering place for Jewish worship. He comes and he, what? He falls at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, come heal my daughter, she's sick. And Jesus says, okay, begins to walk with the man. As they make their way to the man's house, a large crowd is gathered around Jesus and they're close to him, they're pressing into him. And a woman who had been an outcast in her culture and her society, a woman who had a disease that was incurable, she had spent all that she had with doctors to try to cure her sickness and they could not find a cure. They could not help her and because of her condition, she had to live on the outskirts of town. No one could be around her. She was considered unclean in their society and this woman was hungry enough, was desperate enough. She didn't care if they killed her and they stoned her. She just knew if I just get a touch of Jesus, if I just get close enough to touch him, I will be healed. I will be forever changed. And she pressed through the crowd. She was desperate. See, God wants to take our hunger to desperation. She pressed through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she was instantly healed. And Jesus said, what happened? I feel power has left me. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's all these people around you, touching you, rubbing up against you right now. How can you say, who touched you? No, 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 someone, someone touched me in a different way. Which shows us, you can be around Jesus and not experience him. You can be around him. You can be in this atmosphere, in this place, and not experience him because you're not willing to humble yourself and be desperate and hungry to push through whatever the cost to be with him, to get one touch, one glance at his face. And what happens? That lady feels caught. She knows this is the end, but she's so thankful because she got healed. And she what? Falls at his feet. And Jesus says, be at peace. Your faith has made you well. 
and she leaves. Jesus goes into the house, raises the girl from the dead. Mighty story, mighty miracle. But do you notice what all three of them did? They fell at his feet. They humbled themselves. They wanted Jesus more than anything else. We must never lose our wonder of Jesus. We must never lose the simplicity of loving him and walking with him. We must stay in a place of first love for him. We must walk in holiness. We must humble ourselves before him and we must become desperate for more of him. We need to see him. The world needs to see him and he needs to, they need to see him through us. The world is looking for Jesus. They won't admit it, but they are. The Bible says that Jesus is the desire of the nations. He's the desire of the nations. He's what people desire above all else. We must give him away to them. I believe that the Lord is calling us into a place and he's going to send us those who are bound in darkness, those that need resurrection and healing, those hopeless cases that the world has given up on. And we need to be able to give them Jesus. Because Jesus is the only answer. I believe people are gonna come who are bound in demons. I believe people are gonna come who have been told by doctors there's no cure. I believe people are gonna come who need healing in their families and they are going to experience Jesus through us. But we must see him. We must humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do anything without you, Lord. I'm hungry, I'm desperate for more. God is inviting us, church, to pursue him and go after him and to be a people after his face. It's an invitation for all. He's inviting us to see him. But we must pursue him with a pure heart and a pure motive in humility. Jesus, I'm not after your stuff. I'm not after your gifts. I'm after you. I just want you. I just want to know you. I just want to walk with you. I just want to see you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll, I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll give that up. Here, it's yours. I'll pay any cost, God, I just want you. He's looking for those that will have that desperation for him who are done playing church, who are done with religion, who are done with just checking the box of life. Oh, went to church, read my Bible, put my money in the bucket. No, he wants your heart. He wants you to know him. If you're here today, could you all stand? Could you all stand with me? If you're here today, and you want to know my Jesus. You want to know this Jesus. If you want to know him and you don't know him, maybe you've been in church your whole life and all you do, all you realize is that you know about him, but you don't know him. And you want to know him. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe you've never really heard about Jesus and you want to know him. 
I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to choose to follow him. Following Jesus means I'm no longer going to keep going the way I've been going. I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow Jesus, that he's in control. He's in charge. He's my Lord. He's my king. And Lord, I surrender my life. I humble myself before you and surrender my life to you. I want you, Jesus. He only comes where he's invited. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to begin a relationship with him, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? If you raised your hand, I just want you to come right up here to the front. We're, just, we're not to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. Thank you. Come on, church. Celebrate. Come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Let them never be the same, Lord. Let them experience your presence and your spirit right now in Jesus' name. Let fire come and consume them right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. These ones that are up here are going to begin to pray with you guys and pray with you to receive Jesus, okay? Church, let's just with our own words, with our own hearts, let's just begin to worship the Lord. What, don't wait till the team leads you in a song. Lift your own song to the Lord right now. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. We just want you, God. We want to see you, Lord. You're so wonderful. You're so beautiful. You're so amazing, God. God, we give you our lives. We give you our hearts. God, we're desperate. We're hungry for you, Lord. God, we want to know you more and more every day. Jesus, you're all I desire. You're so good. You're King of kings, Lord of lords. You're the matchless one. You're great and mighty. You are greatly to be praised. You're altogether lovely. You're indescribable. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just continue to worship him.